a riddle wrapped in a mystery, inside an enigma, tied off with a who really cares? It's Kiddo's Nasty Notes. <laughs> Hello. I'm Sir Dr. Alex Sarand. Due to a gentleman's agreement and strict contract with his lawyers, I'm obliged to read Gibbo's nasty notes on this dreadful podcast. I'm a retired professor of Western civilization, marooned here on this godforsaken Pacific island. The lawyers do permit me to say that I have had a difficult history with Gibbo, and that I really do read these notes reluctantly. That's right, listeners. Each week, my conservative old Western Civ professor meets me at a studio to read aloud whatever I write for him. He also has a right of reply to defend himself. My name is Tarquin Gibbs, and my advice is don't make bets or gentlemen's agreements. Oh, and our no-nonsense Jane helps with the music and technical side of things. Enjoy. Good day, fellow sufferers. Sir Dr. Alex Sarand here. Today, I have the great joy of introducing the show and of reminding you that from here on in, Gibbo must perform embarrassments of my devising. I cannot express to you, dear listener, how sweet it is to be levelling the score. You've heard the puerile ditties Tarquin has made me sing. The lavatory, I lavatory song. Pussy went downtown. You go no far, far, ding dong. And a bell without a dong. So scandalously humiliating, it makes my bluish blood simmer. However, I now have five minutes per show to make Gibbo do whatever I want him to do. <laughs> Scratch and sniff, Tarquin. Suck it and see. Last week I made him regale us with a monologue I'd wrote about how self-identified comedians don't need to be funny. Which is terrifically lucky for Tarquin, because he's not. No, comedians like him need not be humorous, nor make people laugh. All they need to do is be sad. And Tarquin's got that covered. What with his long history of weeping on cruise ships. I apologise if I sound a little salty. But have you heard the things he's made me do? Last week, I was made to say I didn't have any blood in my penis. And then he laughed at me for mispronouncing it. I will pronounce it, and indeed wash it, however fast I like. Today, however, Tarquin is, to use his vernacular, getting me back for my fabulously, classically wonderful satire of him as a self-identified comedian. As punishment, I must repeat over and over again until he is satisfied a silly chant, that being... I am the king of comedy. Should I begin, Tarquin? Yes, Sir Alec, I will tell you when to stop. I am the king of comedy. 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 The king of comedy. The king of comedy. King of comedy. I am the king of comedy. The comedy of kunkity. The kunkity of kungity. The king of calamity. Tarquin, I think I'm having a stroke. The words coming are out or wrong. Sir Alec, you're obliged to keep singing, please. I'm the cunk. 
The conk of Kimidi, the Kimidi of Conkity, the Conkity of Kimidi, the Conkity, the Kimidi, the Conkity of Kimidi, the Kimidi of Conkity, the Cockity of Kimidi, the Kimidi of Cockity, the Cockity, Cockity, da dum. Tarquin, stop, please. I'm having cerebral stroke. Just get on with it, Sir Alec. Oh, Tarquin, I'm failing. Please, my boy. No, you sing on, Sir Alec. I'm the kinkity of kankity, the kankity of kinkity, the cockity of commodar, the commandant, the commissar, the kimosabi of comedy. Speed it up, old man. I'm King Kong, midi. I'm King Kong, midi. I'm King Kong, King Kong, King Comedy. I'm King Kong, midi. I'm King Kong, midi. I'm King Comedy, Comedy Cora. Giddy up, giddy up. <laughs> I'm the cock of Kimidi, the Kimidi of Cockety, the Cockety of Comedy, Liquidity of Comeda, the Kunkety, the Cockety, the Cockety, the Kunkety. I'm the Comedy of Kinkety, the Kinky King of Comeda, the Commander of Comedy, the Commandant, the Commissar, the Kimosabi of Comedy. And now to the tunes of Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker Suite, you waltzing relic. I'm the QC, the cock, the QC, the cock, the QC, the cock of Commodore. I'm King Kong, I'm King Kong, midi. I'm King Kong, King Kong, King Kong. I'm the QC, the cock, the QC, the cock, the QC, the cock of Commodore. I'm King Kong, King Kong, King Kong. King Kong, King Kong, King Kong, King Comedy. Da 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 You know, Tarquin, Tchaikovsky wrote the Nutcracker Suite about an incident in his youth when he had a mishap on his bicycle. Right, you're done, Sir Dr. Fallock, Reginald, Dwight, Scrotum, Sarand, and let that be a lesson to you. Your brain's not the only place that should be bleeding for all your colonial atrocities. We hope your bottom does too. And understand this, despite the five minutes you've won back, you will never be allowed to forget that this is my show. Now continue, please, to read the words that I have written for you this week. Oh, settle, Tarquin, please, you're short-circuiting. I will read it. Just hang on. A personal matter. What one does in one's privately owned vehicle is entirely one's private business, even if one is in a public car park. Is it not one of life's first lessons, imparted by parent to child, to not willy-nilly enter a room without knocking, unless you can live with whatever shock awaits you on the other side? Likewise, do not look into other people's vehicles. It is a fundamental point of personal liberty that I enjoy my property as I please. For example, if a man wishes to push his privately owned hand as deep as it can go into his privately owned mouth, then that would be a matter entirely for him. What I do in my car is entirely my business, but I have come to understand why the buffoons purchase vehicles with tinted windows. Ah, Sir Alec, you read that well, and have balanced today's ledger a little. Ooh, Tarquin. In tro mission. 15 second scheduled intro mission. In 
intromission. 15 seconds scheduled intromission. Intromission. 15 seconds scheduled intromission. As I said previously, the population of the island now equals that of the United States somewhere between 1795 and 1850. On this island, I live 200 years prehence. I languish in prehistory, the great beforehand, the monster posterior before records were kept. No one will wish to remember this time before their first ancestor. No progenitors live here. In the before times, these fellow millennia. And yet, it's true that while the sun set on the English Empire, it has not fallen on the English language. Everyone speaks the imperial tongue, although most of them only use the 200 most vulgar terms. Notwithstanding, there might yet be a fresh green on which to lay down once again the pink map. Gibbo shouted at me in the studio this morning and said I must work harder at reading his nasty notes. If I do not, he'll cancel all payments to me. I have no problems being cancelled, but I worry about my payments stopping. Oh, to be laid so low that I must resort to being the butler of a swarthy-souled character is for me a very sad turn. I am revolted by his voice, guttural and lisping all at once, and his body, sickly pale yet filled with swart blood. I take comfort from the Stoic philosophers. Seneca asks, what is courage? It is the impregnable fortress for our mortal weakness. When a person has surrounded himself with that, he can hold out free from anxiety during life's siege, as he is using his own strength and own arrows. I must my courage cleave. Sir Alec, do you think people don't like me because I walk like a panther? A panther from Glasgow. Because they know I'm a dark horse with the turret eyes of an iguano, grey mamba spitting octopus ink, an electric golden seal getting all staphylococcal in your heinous, heinous spot. Welcome to another week of hell, Cephalic. Another week to say the words you hate in the voices you can't bear, such as the life of a seasonal worker in the land of Western civilization. You've been brought low, Lord Sarand, but Providence is helping you in the form of me, and my little stipend that keeps the wolves from your bedroom. Them wolves that are me. Viva your lost empire, Lord Sarand. Iguana, not Iguana. I feel I might have avoided these indignities if instead of teaching Western civilization, I had practiced it by starting a cobalt mine in the Congo or an oil field off Guinea. After being kicked out of Chinwangdao, my ancestral line had to venture far afield, that which fate has taken me so far off the good track that I am now no more than a butler to a reprobate. A wrongly retired director of a school of Western civilization needs to use the vulgar phrase, make a living. And for me, subordinating myself to this feminist rude boy is the way. Last week, we learned that poets don't drive because they can pull. 
They only eat chicken wings, never legs. They prefer panthers above cheetahs, antelopes to pangolins, and solstice over equinox. Such are the ridiculous words Gibbo believes belong in my mouth. This week I must present the following on the enemies of Tarquin's kind, the evil anti-poets, of which, no doubt, I am one. <laughs> Standing opposite the poets are the men who are enraged by expression, enraged by anything except the expression of closed fistedness. Outrage is their only expression. Outrage at expression as the only expression. Only pragmatic calculations, calculated outrage, outrage at uncalculated expressions, searching for the calculations that allow punishment. Sir Alec, do manly men hate me because beautiful women love me, because they say they only understand Simone de Beauvoir after talking with me? Oh, Jane, must you patch them through? I doubt you've illuminated anything for anyone, Tarquin. People know your type, pushing your fingers into any glove you happen by. Stocky and thick-set like a little bull with blunt instincts to match. A seducer, a salivator, will steal a lick of a tongue with your own whenever you will. A gutter walker, because from there you cannot fall. Writing about blood in your... Writing about how men should have blood in their... Well, I would rather a decorous man any day. But how did you know that mine was the tongue that would find your words so infinitely distasteful? I saw your lecturing act at the School of Western Civilization, and I didn't like it. I don't like the idea of elite souls, assigning yourself a place above all others. I may have liked your act so little, I helped cancel all performances of it. <laughs> I strongly doubt you'd have the connections to cancel a lunch order. Listen here, my non-binary, mildly autistic singer-songwriter friend. Although I don't know you well, the information I have gleaned over the previous episodes is damning. Non-binary, autistic, singer-songwriters? You're starting with the bigotry again. You know that doesn't end well. Don't interrupt, Tarquin. A couple of shows ago, you described yourself, without a hint of irony, as a feminist. A man from my milieu would never publicly admit to such a thing, even if he was one. I dare say, two hundred years ago, there weren't many feminists. Unless, of course, you include the cohort of ex-workers, as we call them today. If we include ex-workers under the category of feminism, then we could confidently say that feminism is the oldest profession on earth. When I studied at Oxford, we were taught that abjection is not empowerment. A lesser civilization may abject itself to a greater one, but always with the aim of lifting itself up. Think of how far Wales has come. Loving thy neighbour sometimes involves strong-arming her. But not to be lifted, to just lie there and call it empowerment, is curiously perverse. Still, there's nothing that makes me curiouser than perversion. I won't harp on about the bad taste the word empowerment leaves on my tongue's buds. Conversely, the word perverse leaves a delightfully p.
piquant stain. At the School for Western Civilization, we didn't go into the whole feminist palaver, thinking instead that a woman is an individual and, as one, is entitled to do whatever she buggy well wants. When I hear the word feminism, it invariably evokes multiculturalism and relativism. I always finish my thinking about feminism with a thought from Montesquieu. It is not impossible that the things which dishonoured her most served her best. As for you, Tarquin, you have left us in no doubt that you are a polyamorous, bisexual, male feminist who is becoming vaguely non-binary and mildly neurodiverse as the stocks go up. Oh, Sir Alec, I embrace all those names and reclaim them so as to speak my truth. Your truth is exactly the same as every one of your friends. Oh, Sir Alec, lock it and insert it in your back pocket. Dear listeners, you know there's a podcast called The Guilty Feminist, and there was also some years back a book by Roxane Gay called Bad Feminist. I can really relate to that because as a male I sometimes feel I can't be anything but a bad feminist, and a very, very guilty one. But a male feminist I am, and will remain. Sometimes, when I'm feeling sad, I do a little yoga and take down Roxane Gay's Bad Feminist. I open it at random to get a little bit of inspiration to get me through the day. Here are some inspiring quotations from Roxane Gay's Bad Feminist. We are all stinking messes. Or, I would rather be a bad feminist than no feminist at all. This one could have been written for you, Lord Sarand. Quote, you need to understand the extent of your privilege. <clears throat> or this, we should be able to say, this is my truth. <clears throat> Oh, I love this. In many ways, likability is a very elaborate lie, a performance, a code of conduct, dictating the proper way to be. Well, you've never been likable. Oh, Alice Munro, I find her stories are the perfect length for a Pilates session. Sir Alec and I have unfinished business with Amos. Someone emailed the show to say that Sir Alec and I need to undergo analysis to work through a primal trauma associated with the NUS. And I don't think they mean the National University of Singapore. They mean anal assess. And after seeking out said analysis, the analyst said we should start by reading a passage, an extremely black passage, from Amos's London Fields and review it as to its illumination of Sir Alec's condition. Here we go. The back... Passage. The black hole was nothing. It was just a hole. It had dropped out of space and time. It had collapsed into its own universe. Its very nature prevented anyone from knowing what it was. Unapproachable. Unilluminable. <laughs> I need to paraphrase the next bit. James Joyce was into the noose. Lawrence was into the noose. Samuel Beckett was nusty. Naipaul couldn't get enough nuss. And Updike, Mailer and Roth were all into it too. It is remiss of him, but Martin Amos gives no gender-inclusive list of great women authors who are also into the nuss. Such as Jane Austen was into the nuss. 
Woof was into the nos. Iris Murdoch and Emily Dickinson were mad for the sirloin's oyster. Joyce Carol Oates, Lionel Shriver and Zadie Smith are the living disciples of the nos. No, Amos delivers no gender-inclusive list regarding the event horizon. I wonder why. But I need to return to the fundamental matter and continue reading a few very brief excerpts from the London Fields chapter titled, Bit of Course... The Event Horizon. Here's Anus, Martin. Again, the thing itself was the last thing. It always seeded the end of the affair. Approaching the black hole, the traveller would encounter the accretion disk, a circling matter bled from the neighbour star. Then, the Schwarzschild radius. This would be the Event Horizon where space-time collapsed. Now there can be no escape. During the instantaneous descent, all of eternity has passed on the outside. Caught in the imploding geometry, the man and his rocket enter the black hole. Bravo! Brilliant, Amos. I award your passage five foot six out of ten. Tell us, Sir Alec, have you ever crossed your event horizon? What about when you were a rugger-bugger at Oxford? Wasn't it de rigueur to go in for that type of thing, all part of the celebration of English civilization? Because, be honest, when you say Western civilization, you mean English barbarism, right? Did you, like Nicola, ever invite such barbarities with your wedding finger? Did your wife, before she left you for to marry Christ, do anything with her ring finger? Tarquin, I'm going to bump you on the nose. Is that where you really want to bump me, Sir Alec? Right, that is it. Jane, Jane, he's coming. Lock the door. And cut to Root Word Hotspot. Root Word Hotspot. Root Word Hotspot. Hey listeners, Tarquin Gibbs here. I've grown attached to Root Word Hotspot and it's a part of the show I keep to myself. First word of the week. Mordant. The concise Oxford gives us the definition of mordant as a sharp and critical sense of humour, but the Oxford boffins don't correctly root it. To do so, we need to break the word into two. More and dunt. More derives from mort, meaning death. As in mortician. And dant derives from tooth, as in dentist. Literally translated, mordant means death tooth, or the tooth of death, which is, as we know, the incisor. Therefore, the best definition of mordant is incisive humour. We have now properly rooted the death tooth and incisively planted it in the bottom of etymology. The second word for the week is peccadillo. This is a remarkable word that holds within it bygone prejudices. 
we often use the word in sentences such as a strong appetite for cake is one of my peccadilloes. We use it to mean a little sin. But break the word up and you find that it is, quite surprisingly, a compound of two synonyms for a man's reproductive organ, pecker and dildo. The second D was contracted out of the word. From another perspective, it is not so surprising, because sin and the organ of its expression have always been conceptually compounded. And here we see the concrete word follow the concept. That the word is a doubling of synonymous terms is something we see in many languages. For example, in Celtic, muji means good, and muji muji means doubly good. Likewise, in Polish, pluti means water, and pluti pluti means lots of water. In fact, the original meaning of peccadillo was not a little sin, but rather a thick, chunky nine-inch one. Nomest est omen. Surname's coward, and he runs from fights. Dear listener, Sir Alec's violent toxic male tantrum has meant we must finish the episode now, and again skip an instalment of the taxidermied wombats. But please return next time to listen to Sir Alec review classics from my collection of feminist literature. Will he choose Bell Hooks's Penis Passion or Terry Castle's The Professor? I might even make him read one of my toilet exercises. And of course, I am now obligated to read something from his sick conservative imagination. But anon, anon, the bar is low, but I'm still jumping. Our home is patreon.com slash gibbosnastynotes. Nasty Notes.